Welcome to the weekly podcast of Calvary Chapel, South London, a church where the truth of God's word meets and transforms the reality of our daily lives. We hope you are impacted by this week's teaching. Now, two things real quick. As you're sitting down, um, because they're away and have been for quite a few months, they still listen to the podcast um, because they want to maintain their links with us as a family. Um, In a minute, I'm going to ask you just to show your love and appreciation for Will and Calpurnia. Um, They're going to be listening to the podcast. I had a chat with Will this week, and it was just beautiful catching up with him. And um, Just wondering if you just keep them in your prayers, Um, particularly with reference to Will finding work in Jamaica. So um, I want to shout out um, Will, Cal, um, Sierra, and also Mikhail, and um, you guys want to just give them a shout? Um, Make them, make, make them feel home away from home. And, and second, I'd just also like to ask you to, this is crazy, it's the opposite of kind of what I tend to always say. Normally I'm like, you know, you guys are not very responsive, man. Ask you a question you don't want to answer. Today I'm going to ask that you not be too responsive <laughs> because I can't really raise my voice too loud otherwise I'm going to start coughing my, lung, my lungs up. So <clears throat> I'm going to have to keep my voice as quiet as I can and um, so that I don't get overexcited. And um, yeah, I'm going to ask you to help me to do the same, help me to keep calm. Just been struggling with some illness this week. Um, okay. <clears throat> so welcome to week, week chapter 9. Um, in our series, looking at the Lord Jesus, Superman, HD, HD, standing for human and divine. And we're going to be in John chapter 3, looking at verse 22 to 36. We're going to complete the chapter this week. <clears throat> and... Uh, The title for our message today is, Who's the Best Man? Who's the Best Man? I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray, then I'm going to read. Father, thank you for your amazing grace in our lives, Lord. The the opportunity and the privilege just to see another day um, is a wonderful gift. Father, would you help us today to consider, Lord, just... The place that we find ourselves in and the privilege that we have that we often tend to neglect um, because we have a desire for other things. Lord, would you remind us of all the good things that you've done in our lives and, and want to continue to do in our lives? Would you help us to see that and appreciate that for Jesus' sake? Amen. Amen. <clears throat> I've got a feeling today's going to be a record breaker. Really short. Famous last words. All right. Where's Bertram? I told, I told Bertram to set the clock. All right, then. If we're more than 45 minutes... Man said, easy. All right, let me not commit myself. All right, let's keep it moving, because this is where the time gets taken up, right? I'm going to act like I never heard that. <clears throat> so the question is, who's the best man? <clears throat> Now, over the past few weeks, we've seen John, who's the author of this book, right, portray Jesus as surpassing anything and everything that Judaism held dear. And um, Jesus clarifies things that even Jews themselves didn't fully understand. Jesus is the new temple that replaces the old temple, right? Saw that in chapter 2. Jesus is the place now where people meet with God. Jesus also explains the true meaning of Ezekiel's prophecy regarding the new birth, right? Talking about the whole water and spirit issue. We saw that last week with Pastor E. Jesus says, remember the serpent lifted up in the wilderness that brought life to those who, under the sentence of death, that's what I'm going to do when I'm lifted up on the cross. Anyone who looks to me back then or even still today, will receive life. 
And I'm saying Jesus explains what that meant. And you know that serpent in the wilderness, the serpent, the bronze um, staff with the serpent on it. Where do, where do we see that symbol today? Hospital, National Health. The, the, the health service on ambulances, that same serpent. Why? Because that serpent brings life. It's beautiful, isn't it? <clears throat> see, Jesus is providing new wine like at the wedding of Cain, at Cana. Which indicates this need for a new wineskin, this new covenant. <clears throat> and we're going to see this trend continue in verse 22 and 23. Even as we compare the great quote unquote John the Baptist now with Jesus. And we're going to see that Jesus outshines even John. So John chapter 3 starting in verse 22 right to the end. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John was also John also was baptizing at Anon near Salem, because water was plentiful there, and people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he's baptizing and all are going to him. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I'm not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. <clears throat> So, verse 22. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside. <clears throat> so we know that Jesus was recently at the temple in chapter 2. And then on the back of that, who comes to see Jesus? At the beginning of this chapter, Nicodemus. So just after Jesus was in the temple... Nicodemus comes, we're not exactly sure where, but Nicodemus comes and finds Jesus at night, maybe the, the very night that he saw him turn the temple upside down, and, he's, and, and he comes and he finds Jesus. So Jesus is obviously in Jerusalem at this point, but, but verse 22 says that now he leaves Jerusalem, if, if you like, but is still in um, the surrounding region, so just outside of Jerusalem in Judea. So he leaves the city for the countryside. And it says he remained there with them, <clears throat> that is his disciples, and was baptizing. In the next chapter, we get clarity on the fact that it wasn't actually Jesus doing the baptizing. It was his disciples baptizing in chapter 4, verse 2. <clears throat> um, verse 23. John also was baptizing. So Jesus is baptized, but John also was baptizing, but at a different place, right? A place called Anon near Salem which is further north, and it's west on the other side of the Jordan River. <clears throat> and it says, because water was plentiful there. Maybe this is a subtle argument for full immersion, as opposed to sprinkling, right? Loads of water. <clears throat> and people were coming, and they were being baptized. And we would argue that the word baptizo means to dip, it means to fully immerse. <clears throat> so we have two mega ministries if you like, both preaching repentance and the kingdom of God. Can you see the contrast? And people are responding and they're being baptized. 
In verse 22, Jesus is baptized. And in verse 23, John is baptizing. And notice the order. <clears throat> Who's first? Jesus first and John is second. Now we'll come back to that. And this is all happening before John was put in prison. Right? We see that in verse 24. <clears throat> Basically, this is whilst things were going really well for John the Baptist. And I'm saying he's not gone to prison yet. So he's doing his thing, right? <clears throat> uh, in contrast to this time coming where John's ministry will come to an end. But for the time being, John the Baptist's ministry is going well. Now imagine being so, um, so well acquainted with baptism that it becomes a part of your name. In a, in a similar sense, we have the same today, similar, where a person's name... Um, is immediately connected or associated with something. I'm going to say some names, and um, you give me the association, right? Just say whatever. The, say the first thing that comes into your mind, right? Just one word: Bill Gates, Microsoft. Amen. <laughs> Someone said money. <laughs> Lionel Messi, football. <laughs> Richard Branson, Virgin Money, uh -uh. Muhammad Ali, Boxing, okay, the great in it. How about, that's two words, just one word, right? Oh, maybe two words on this next one. How about J.K. Rowling? <laughs> Books, Harry Potter. Somebody said witchcraft, <laughs> and somebody again said money. <clears throat> How about Billy Graham? Evangelist. I'm glad no one said money on that one. <clears throat> Remember, I told you not to calm down, right? Maybe we should do this. This is reverse psychology. Maybe, maybe we should do this more often. You guys are really engaged. What a blessing. <clears throat> People who have become so popularly, so popularly related to something that there's an, an immediate association. And these famous individuals, they become so popular that they don't have to defend their, rep their reputation. They're so popular and so well known, others will happily and willingly defend their rep for them. We're going to see this very thing happen in the text. Watch the drama, verse 25. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and the Jew over purification and they came to John and said to him Rabbi he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness you know look he is baptizing and all and all are going to him now we know that that's not true because because John the Baptist is baptizing some so it's not all but you can hear the emphasis it's like <clears throat> emphasizing the fact that that not all are coming to us some are now going to them. And they're not happy about this. It's like, you know, when it comes to baptism, John, surely you're the guy. You're the man. Like, what's going on with others going like over there? Like to them to, and not to us. They're like, can anybody trump you, John, the Baptist? Verse 25 says, <clears throat> says it was a Jew who kind of got involved in this conversation, right? Now, you might remember that we've mentioned that throughout John, he, he makes reference to the Jews. And not all the time, but very often, it's in a negative sense. Because it's the Jews who are jealous. It's the Jews who aim to kill Jesus. It's the Jews who eventually end up crucifying him via the Romans, right? <clears throat> so... Possibly this is somebody who's trying to cause trouble. <clears throat> so notice it says a Jew. Some, tr some translations say a specific or a certain Jew. Some commentators suggest that, you know who this might be? That this might actually be Nicodemus from the previous section. We can't be sure because obviously it doesn't state that. Now we know that Jesus hung him out to dry last week, right? 
So maybe he could be feeling a bit ticked off, and it could be him. Um, if it is, we know that he definitely has a change of perspective by the time we get to the end of the book. But <clears throat> again, we're not sure, but it could be. And um, apart from that which we don't know, what we do know is that the hot topic of discussion is this issue of what? Purification or cleansing. And it starts off as a theological discussion that quickly becomes personal. I mean, if you know, this, is, this easily happens. Yeah, they're talking about, a, a, you know what I'm saying, a theological point of view, and it gets heated, and two twos, it starts to get personal. The issue is no longer the issue. Something else is now the issue. How many of you been there? <clears throat> now, as I said, John's ministry is still popping. But Jesus is beginning to also become popular. And someone wants to make an issue of it, comparing the two as if this is some sort of competition. Now, we see this happen today with, re with reference to some of the things I mentioned earlier. Who, who are Microsoft's biggest competition? Apple, right? Google now, maybe. Um, how about Muhammad Ali? Who is his biggest competition? Ain't got no, ain't got no boxing fans. I'm not really a big boxing fan, but I think, I think Foreman, I think Foreman knocked him down, didn't he? I think Foreman's the only man that knocked Ali down. Um, Fraser, Fraser, but Ali himself said, he said there was a man who out of everybody hit the hardest, and it was a man called Ernie Shavers. He said, no one hit him as hard as that brother. And you know, we got this big fight coming up, right? Mayweather and, and Pacquiao, right? And it's like, apparently this is the biggest fight of history. $300 million purse. 200 million pound purse. You know what I'm saying? And again, you know what I'm saying? You've got one person being pitted against another, right? <clears throat> How about Messi? Who's his big competition? Ronaldo, right? Who's Messi? It's all right, sis. Bless. <laughs> Bless. <laughs> you know, sis, it's, it's one of them things you don't even really need to know nothing about. You ain't missing, you ain't missing out on nothing. <clears throat> um, and, and I say one for the ladies, only because maybe the ladies don't get all of the references, but... um. How, how, how about Kim versus Kendall? I had to look this one up, car. I, I couldn't. I couldn't think of any example. See, all the men are saying, "Who?" Yeah. Kardashian versus Jenner. Ladies, am I right? No, no. They're, they're sisters, but there's no competition between the two of them. No. Are, maybe Kim and Amber Rose would be a better example. Thank you. You see. Uh oh. <clears throat> anyway, anyway, we know that this stuff goes on, right? And um, <clears throat> and and here we have John and Jesus. Question is, who's the best man? Competition. Earlier in this chapter, Nicodemus, um, he's a priest, right? He comes. And how does he come? Or what time does he come? At night. Partly because his associates see Jesus how? As the competition. Remember the Eldad and Medad situation back in Numbers 11? If, you, if you've read that portion of the Bible. Where someone tempted Moses to, to, to compete. Tempted Moses to jealousy. <clears throat> in Numbers 11... Verse 26 through to 29, it says, Now two men remained in the camp, one named Eldad and the other named Medad. And the Spirit rested, rested on them, which is beautiful, right? I mean, the Holy Spirit can rest on who he chooses to. <clears throat> and it's temporary. We'll see that more in a minute. They are among those registered, right? So they're legitimate, but they had not gone out, of, out to the tent, which is the tent of meeting, Right, so they prophesied in the camp, so it could seem like oh they're, they're doing a good thing, but in the wrong place, it could seem right, 
And look, verse 27, a young man ran and told Moses, you know, Eldad and me, dad, are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, gets involved. Oh my gosh, the assistant of Moses from his youth and said, my Lord Moses, stop them. You ever know, like you look at Joshua sometimes you feel like, ah, oh, Joshua never put a foot wrong. Hmm. He, he jumped on the, verse 29, but look, Moses responds and says to them, look, are you jealous for my sake? He says, look, this is how I feel. I would that all of the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. See, he had a tempting Moses to get into this competition, tempting him to become jealous. You know, um, myself and Pastor E are working for London City Mission now. We've got a few people um, from our church involved as, as pioneers. And we've got some, um, some individuals that are applying for jobs come September as, as pioneers to work for London City Mission as missionaries. And it's been such a blessing working with them um, in many ways. One, obviously we get the privilege of being able to use this building 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. But also... One of the things that's been a real blessing to, to me and Pastor E is just to see their heart and their commitment to resist the temptation of, 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 of competition. You know what I'm saying? They work with loads of different Christian organizations. They work with churches across denominations. And we just see a beautiful way that they are encouraging partnership as, a, as opposed to division between churches and Christian organizations. It's beautiful. Um, We also see in Philippians 1, Paul's example. It says in Philippians Philippians 1, verse 15 to 18, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry. Wow. But others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. You hear his attitude? Like Moses, Paul rises above the rivalry and this ungodly, competitive spirit. <clears throat> Have you ever experienced this? You being tempted to compete against someone? Or to stand up and defend someone, but get offended at, at somebody else being taken for granted, or and and, you, and 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 I know what it's like sometimes. You might be at work, and you feel the temptation to jockey for a position, or to get you know one-upmanship over a work colleague, or at school. I mean, or maybe a next door neighbor. I'm saying they're going to buy a nice new car. You feel like you need to go and get one too, just to compete with them. They get double glazing. You have to get double glazing. I mean, this stuff's real. It happens. How about how about how about sibling rivalry? I mean, feeling like oh, you know, a brother or a sister. They they got better gifts than me. They're smarter than I am. You know what I mean? So I have to. To some degree, feel like I always have to prove myself that I'm as good as them, if not better. People just don't see it, so I have to show them. Or how about how about? Do you know there's, there there can be rivalry between between husbands and wives? I mean, um, a, a husband competing against his wife because maybe she outshines him because she's very efficient. You know what I'm saying? She's always on time. <laughs> you know what I mean? And um, she always keeps her commitments with incredible consistency. You know what I mean? And there's this anger that rises up in you as a husband. Um, or you as a wife, your husband, he just seems like he's kind of always in the limelight. He's the guy everybody wants to speak to and talk to and he's got loads of friends and you don't have any friends and and you feel the need to compete, or you feel challenged, and there's this rivalry. It's real. You know, I think often when we feel like that, it's because we forget or we neglect the good things that God has given us. And, um, you know, in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 7, Paul reminds us, he says, look, what do we have that 
What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? It's like anything we have, whether it's a spouse or a, or a sibling or whether it's, you know I'm saying, a job. You know, or we got the privilege of going to school. You know, that's enough for us to be grateful for as opposed to in the midst of that, neglecting just God's goodness and the privilege it is to be in that environment and then want to compete against somebody else. Can you see that? <clears throat> Everything that we have comes from God as a gracious gift. And even promotion comes from the Lord. In, in Psalm 75, <clears throat> it says, verse 4, I said to the arrogant and the boastful, now this is from the Amplified, it's a really great translation. I said to the arrogant and the boastful, deal not arrogantly, do not boast, and to the wicked, lift not up the horn of personal aggrandizement. Lift not up your aggressive horn on high. Speak not with a stiff neck and insolent arrogance. For not from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south come promotion and lifting up. Now notice what it doesn't say. Notice where it doesn't mention. Where doesn't it mention with regards to the different points of the... It doesn't mention the north, because that's exactly where the promotion comes from, right? Verse 7, but God is the judge. He puts down one and lifts up another. You know what I mean? And um, it's just being in that place where you realize that, because it, takes the, it takes, um, takes the burden off of you and me trying to be somebody. You know what I mean? When God has already made us so much already. And it's just being able to appreciate that. And you know, this happens outside as well as inside the church. It's very easy to get dragged into this stuff. This church against that church. And this preacher against that preacher. And this movement versus that movement. <clears throat> Someone will always pit one against the other. Let's not get involved in it. Let's be like John. Listen to his response in verse 27. John responded. <clears throat> John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing. Unless it is given him from heaven. I mean, can you hear his humble appreciation? Verse 28. You yourselves, look, bear me witness that I said I'm not the Christ. Why are you trying to gas me up? I'm not trying to be something more than... You know, I told you that I, I'm sent before him. This is great enough for me. It's wonderful enough for me to, 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 to be the one that points to him. Imagine... I've been sent before him. John's like, you guys don't realize how this thing works. And contrary even to John's own teaching, some of his disciples are not listening. Because John has consistently pointed them to Jesus. And he reminds them again, but they're still not listening. Some of John's disciples, you know, they don't end up following Jesus for years. Although John persistently pointed to Jesus, even after John died. You see an example of that in Acts chapter 19, verse 1 to 7, where Paul comes across these disciples, and they're John's disciples. But they never ever heard about the Spirit, and they never ever heard about Jesus. But they did, but they didn't hear it, because they weren't listening. See, and <clears throat> may we be disciples... Who don't follow those who point to Jesus. But may we be disciples who follow Jesus. Because we can also get caught up on this. Where we follow an individual as opposed to follow the person that the individual points to. Which is supposed to be Jesus. And, and not stop short at the person who's supposed to point to Jesus like favorite preachers etc. John wasn't foolish enough to compete against Jesus. Not only would that have been unwise, it would have also minimized the amazing ministry that God had given him. When we covet something quote-unquote better than that which we have, it shows our disdain for the things that God has placed into our hands. John recognizes what an honor it is to be the forerunner of Christ. Don't minimize your God-given calling. Because of your desire to be something that you are not. 
And as a result, Johnny submits to the will of God, doesn't he? He says, not my will, but your will be done. And we'll see that in verse 30. In his response, John the Baptist gives his disciples a parable in verse 29. Um, Look at it with me. It says, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. I don't need nothing more. He says, he must increase and I must decrease. John understands who Jesus is and who he is in relation to Jesus. So you have this parable. You have a bridegroom and the friend who attends the bridegroom, right? Which is the ancient equivalent of what? The best man. The best man. This is just, and this is just another title <clears throat> among many for Jesus. That is the bridegroom, right? Jesus is the Lamb of God. He's the King of Kings. He's the Prince of Peace. But he's also known as the bridegroom. And God's people, that is the church, again, the body of Christ or the family of God, a.k.a. the bride. It's another term for, for us. <clears throat> so this shows that John the Baptist had a good handle on the Old Testament scriptures, understanding this whole bride and bridegroom business. And you see that in Isaiah 62, Jeremiah 2, and in Hosea chapter 2. So Jesus is the bridegroom, and John is the best man, and he counts it as an honor. A good best man understands his subservient role compared to the groom. Hmm. Speaking of grooms and best men, I can't understand, you know, we've done a few, I can't understand how some best men are so lazy. Like, we've done, we done a few weddings now, right? Must be over 30 weddings now. And I'm like, so many of the weddings I go to, I said, I see, I see the, the groom doing more running around than the, than, the, than the best man. I'm like, like, what's that all about? Best man always sitting down. At the church, sitting down. You know what I'm saying? Like, when he, like, he's supposed to be running up and down sorting stuff out. It's not his place to be sitting down looking good. You know what I mean? Sitting down in the church. Look, at the reception hall. Yo. Sitting down chilling. While the rest of the groomsmen are running up and down. He's the, he, he's the chief servant at the wedding. Best man. I think they got a, they got a misunderstanding of that term. You know what I mean? And um, <clears throat> a good best man does all he can to make the groom look good. Now we're going to be doing some marriage counselling today. It's the first of a set of about seven sessions that we, we do. And we do them around about this time of the year, getting people ready, getting couples ready for weddings this year, right? And um, you know, I just say, you know, couples, think about, think carefully about who you choose. You know what I'm saying? Um, make the right choice. Who's going to be your best man or who's going to be your, your maid of honour? You know what I mean? Don't pick somebody... For the wrong reasons. Let me just leave it at that. <clears throat> or if, at least if you pick them, make sure you tell them what, the, what their job description is. You know what I mean? The best man. It's a strange title, isn't it? You ever thought about it? The best man. Who actually is the best man at the wedding? Well, the best man isn't actually the best man. Surely the best man is the bridegroom. And that's something to talk about. Afterwards over coffee. John is the best man. But ultimately Jesus is the best man. Jesus is the better man. Jesus is the super man. And John will now testify to four more significant things. That identify Jesus as the Christ. The son of God. Number one. And we're going to just walk through the text. And we'll see this come up. Number one. The first thing. we're going to see, is that Jesus came from above. He came from heaven. Verse 31 to 33. He who comes from above is above all. Remember, this is a part of John's um, 
John's commitment as he writes this book. He wants to show you Jesus for who he really is and how he exemplifies everybody else. And as I said earlier, temple, and I'm saying priests, name it, Jesus exceeds everyone. And here he even exceeds the great John the Baptist. Um, He who hears of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. Sounds a bit like Hebrews. And I'm saying Jesus is better than the the angels. Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than everybody. Verse 32, he says, he bears witness to what he has seen and heard. And I'm saying no one ain't seen or heard what he's heard because he's from heaven. He's from above. Yet no one receives his testimony in general. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. Can you see that? Jesus came from above. He came from heaven. Jesus said earlier to Nicodemus, look, I can speak about earthly things, but I can also speak about heavenly stuff. Why? Verse 13 from last week, Jesus is the one who descended from heaven. Number two, another another identifying marker for Jesus that sets him apart. Jesus has the spirit without measure. He has a spirit without limit. Verse 34, for he whom God has sent utters the words of God. Wow. For he gives the spirit without measure. Unlike the previous judges, unlike the previous kings, unlike the previous priests, who only had the spirit in limited fashion, just like we read back in Numbers 11, the spirit came upon someone, but once they, they, they communicated or they shared, or like Samson was strong, the spirit would come off them. But Jesus, wow, Jesus has the Holy Spirit without measure or limit, proving his distinctiveness. Number three, Jesus is, Jesus is loved by the Father. Verse 35, the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Again, as we heard from Pastor E last week, this is God's beloved This is God's only begotten Son. The Son in whom the Father is well pleased. And and then lastly, number four. Jesus is the one through whom we escape God's wrath. Jesus is the one through whom we escape God's wrath. Verse 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But then whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Notice, it doesn't say whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, and whoever does not believe shall not see life. It says whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, whoever does not obey the Son, so synonymous with believing is what? Obedience. Genuine belief results in genuine repentance that leads to genuine obedience. Let's not get it twisted. And it talks about wrath here as the result of not believing, of not repenting, of not being obedient. Wrath, wrath is a scary word. And you know, it's the only time that this word is mentioned in the book. Wrath. The definition of wrath is God's righteous reaction against sin. How many of you know we all deserve to be executed? On the spot, immediately. It's only because of God's grace. And his, his extended mercy to us. Why that doesn't take place. And f- <clears throat> See, and, and this is the reason why Jesus came into the world, isn't it? He didn't come to execute us. He came to save, the Bible says, he came to save sinners. And um, um, Jesus was butchered on the cross for our sins. Now some take that, take that as a light thing. Um, but do not be deceived. You know, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man sows or woman, that shall they also reap. And God will judge. God will judge you if you don't repent. Um, the wrath of God is real. Um, but God's mercy is real. That's, again, that's why we're here. Alive and breathing. And again, you know, partly we, f- we forget to appreciate good things like life. And I'm not feeling well right now, so it's times like this. I realize just how, how, how wonderful it is just to be healthy. 
you know what I mean? And um, and um, let's let's be encouraged to not take advantage or take for granted God's grace and His and His provision of forgiveness. Um, because if we don't, there'll be a time when the regret for not appropriating God's forgiveness will be overwhelming. The Bible describes um, a person who rejects God's mercy as an individual who will be weeping and gnashing their teeth. Now, weeping is not crying. Weeping is deeper than crying. Weeping is when you ain't got no more tears and it's an emotive desperate cry for something you know you can't attain now and it comes from your gut and, and when there's weeping there's no consolation for someone who's weeping <clears throat> it's more than just crying and gnashing of teeth that's, I think that describes the pain that comes by virtue of being separated from God I'm saying, and why is it a surprise if we choose to live our lives without God in this life? That when we die, that God says, Okay, I'm just going to give you what you've always wanted. You've always wanted life without me, so now I'm going to give it to you for eternity. But by the way, I'm just going to take all my stuff, I'm going to take my light, I'm going to take my love, I'm going to take my life, I'm going to take, I'm going to take your friends, I'm going to take your family, I'm going to take everything. <clears throat> that you've had and you've taken for granted. I'm going to take it all back. I'm going to leave you in a place where I'm, where none of my good things are. And that describes hell. See, don't be deceived. God will judge you if you don't repent. The wrath of God is real. And yet I would rather choose God's grace since Christ, he took my place right at the cross. So here we have four more, four more identifying markers. Things that point or testify to Christ's uniqueness as the son of God. <clears throat> Who's the best man? It's quite easy, isn't it? Jesus is the best man. Warren Wiersbe, in conclusion of this chapter, beautifully, a, be a beautiful summary. He says in conclusion, he says, In this chapter, John emphasizes the issue of relationship with God. First of all, it's a living relationship. And how does it begin? We saw that earlier. You must be born again. It begins with the new birth. The second thing is, it's also a loving relationship. Where we become the desired bride of the bridegroom. Wow. You know what I mean? And in third, it's a learning relationship. See, as disciples, Jesus is the faithful heavenly witness commanding our attention. It's a living relationship. It's a loving relationship. In this chapter, we see that it's a learning relationship. A few points of application and we're done. There is much honor in being upfront. And standing next to the best man. Shouldn't we be grateful that God elevates us from the slime pits of sin to the safe place of grace? Even allowing us the privilege of being seated with, with Christ in heavenly places. Isn't that a privilege? And something for us to appreciate. It's a privilege to, <clears throat> to, be, to be a Best man um, in the lesser sense. I'm saying as, as, as a best man we're servants aren't we? To the groom, to Jesus. Therefore let's serve the groom. Let's serve Jesus. And I'm saying and let's serve him. Serve him with all your mind. All of it. And I'm saying don't, don't, don't stop short of engaging your mind with your Bible. And even with, with teaching that you hear. And go deeper. I mean love him. Serve him with all your mind. With all your heart. With all your soul. With all your strength. And that might be a challenge to us. And I'm saying. Do we really serve the Lord like that? 
with everything that is within us. And I'm saying, and we know what commitment looks like. We were talking about this at men's ministry the other day. It's like, when it comes to sport, we were saying as men, and I'm saying when our team scores a goal, we jump up and down and we scream and we hug each other. I've been at football matches where my team has scored. I jump up and I'm hugging up the guy next to me. I never met him in my life. And we show such exuberance and, and we raise our hands and we lift our voices and we pay our tithes. Our season ticket. I ain't got a season ticket. You know what I mean? But you know what I'm saying we, we pay money. And we, so we know what commitment looks like. But, where, that, but that commitment seems to, to often be really lacking in our spiritual lives. It's like where's the dynamic? You know what I'm saying? In our spiritual lives where we're going hard in that sense. You know what I'm saying? All your mind, all your heart, all your... Let's serve as good best men. Let's not be floppy best men. Amen? Have you ever pointed or brought someone to Jesus? Like, like John does with his disciples, constantly pointing them to Jesus and experience the joy of friends who are saved, who begin to follow Jesus. John says, my joy is full, you know. Because he's here now. The bridegroom's here and I'm pointing people to him. Have you ever pointed someone to Jesus? I tell you, you honestly, the, the thrill that you will experience when you share the gospel. You may share the gospel with 10 people and they reject it. And the 11th person you share the gospel with gets saved. It's amazing when that happens. If you've never experienced that. <clears throat> be a witness that can point people to Jesus. And you know, let's not be consumed with competing with someone at work. For a better job, you know what I'm saying, and forget about winning that person to Christ. That doesn't mean that you don't advance or seek promotion, you know what I'm saying, but just don't seek promotion at the expense of being a witness for Christ. Don't it's like it's like you don't want to overdo be, overdo it being a witness to the point where like oh here here she comes again oh here he comes again, and you know I'm saying you don't have to overdo it, but come on, don't underdo it. You know what I mean? That is being a witness. See, we can be so consumed with, I want a better position to the point where we step on people and we ignore people. We don't even contemplate how we might be coming across in that environment. It's about being able to, it's about being prepared to, being willing to take the lower place. You know what I'm saying, would you, would you pray for someone else's progress and promotion? And lastly, remember in verse 22 and 23. John was baptizing. Right? And Jesus was baptizing. If you'd been alive at that time and you haven't been baptized, would you be a candidate for baptism? Would you have been one of those who would have stepped forward and said, you know what, John, I need to get baptized. I need to... Well, thankfully, um, you still have time to respond. And the question is, have you repented of your sin? Have you put your faith in Christ? Because that's all you need to do to be baptized. <clears throat> and what's the alternative? The alternative is certain judgment. Please be encouraged to put your faith in Christ. Now when we pick up in two weeks time, because remember next week is Easter. When we pick up in two weeks time, we see a woman that does exactly that. She puts her faith in Christ in chapter 4. And we'll see the bridegroom pursue a bride, quote unquote. A bride who has been let down by five previous grooms. But that's next time. Let's pray. <clears throat> Invite the guys to come up and join me. Heavenly Father, thank you that you give us very helpful and practical illustrations in your word to godliness and um, just thank you for the testimony of John the Baptist um, Lord he he was committed to point to Jesus he was committed to helping others to see that he wasn't the man he wasn't the best man that Jesus was but father John he, he was the best man in that he served the groom so well.
Father, would you help us to have that similar type of attitude? And Father, not, um, not just be willing to say it with our lips, but to mean it with our heart and to live it with our lives. That is, he must increase and I must decrease. And Father, help us to understand what that means in our particular context for our individual specific lives. What does that mean in our jobs and our careers, Lord? You know, what does that mean at school and the next few years? I might be going to uni. You know, what does that mean? What does it mean for me to, to put Jesus first, to make Jesus the, the, the groom, the center of attention? What does that look like for me in my relationships with my friends? I'm, I, 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 I may be the person who doesn't really stand out in a crowd. And I always feel challenged. I feel like, you know, no one really notices me and everyone takes me for granted. And the temptation there is to, is try to, is try to, to be somebody. And then at the other end of the spectrum, Lord, the individual who, they're A-type. You know I'm saying? They always got the right thing to say at the right time. Help that person, Lord, to, to dial, to dial their amazing attractiveness down. Help them not to be proud and arrogant, Lord, but to humble themselves. And that they wouldn't take away from the glory of, of Christ because they're just standing in front of Jesus and they are who is seen and Jesus isn't seen. Lord, would you help us? Because we all fall in, 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 into one of those categories somewhere on the spectrum. Um, but Father, would you help us to appreciate the wonderful things that you've given us, the wonderful friends and family and, and, and a good church and, and a home, Lord, and, and a brother or a sister, biological brother or a sister, Help us to appreciate how we can sit with them and we can laugh as we remember 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago. That type of a relationship is one to be treasured. Let there not be any sibling rivalry, Lord, coming between brothers and sisters. Lord, help us to check ourselves. And help us to appreciate the wonderful things that you've given us and not despise them. For Jesus' sake, amen. To find out more about us, visit our website at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org or find us on Facebook and Twitter at CC South London. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.